Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Gather Round, the podcast series sharing stories from Aberdeen Archives, Gallery and Museums. In this episode, we celebrate International Women's Day with curators Jenny Pape Carlyle and Jessica Barry as they talk about their spotlight display, A Still Life? Question mark, which explores a small selection of still lives from our collection by women artists, including Vanessa Bell and Mary Armour. Okay, happy Women's Day, Jenny. Happy Women's Day to you, Jess. Uh, so my name is Jenny and I'm um, curator of history here at Aberdeen Archives Gallery Museums. And I'm Jess and I work in the Fine Art Collection as a curator here at Aberdeen Archives Gallery and Museums. We're here today to talk to you a little bit about the exhibition that we curated in Gallery 19, which is on the top floor of Aberdeen Art Gallery, and that's called A Still Life. Question mark. Jenny and I thought about doing this display a while ago because we're interested in feminism, what it means to be a woman today and throughout history, and especially what that means being a woman working in the arts. Yeah, so Jess and I have been having a lot of conversations um, and thinking about sort of domestic lives and unpaid labour. Um, and that's a lot more common for women to be associated with unpaid labour. So we're thinking of ways within the art collection that we could represent that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, Jenny, those domestic subjects, however wrongly, have been associated with women throughout history because that was so often seen as a woman's place, which we now know we can fight against or rebel against. And we like the idea of a still life showing a domestic scene, but also beyond that, giving a, a window into that artist's interior life. So allowing the still life to speak through or the artist to speak through that still life and describe maybe what was going on, not only in their psyche, but in their everyday life. And a lot of the ones we chose to put in the exhibition were painted in the artist's living spaces. So these were spaces that we encounter every day and the way they're depicted, it can reveal things about them. And only one of them was specifically a studio space, which, yeah, I find that interesting, that mix of like art and life and how these women had to shoehorn maybe their arts practice into their into their daily lives. Absolutely. I think when we were researching, there were quite a few comments of how the women were sort of maybe working on their kitchen table and just doing it in spaces when when they were able to. Um, some kind of notice when we were researching was that still life's actually not that well represented within the rest of the gallery spaces. So we thought it was maybe a good opportunity to to get that genre of painting out while looking at the beetle, the lives of these women. Um, so the women that we chose for the exhibition, so we've got Vanessa Bell, Lil Nielsen, Anne Redpath, Elizabeth Blackadder, Mary Armour and Sarah Radston. And I think Jess will agree that when we were looking for artworks to suit sort of our theme that we come up with, it's actually quite difficult because our collections are so underrepresented for female artists. So it was it really did limit us to mm. that to that extent. Absolutely. And then there's as curators, we have to think about the condition of the objects, not only what condition they are in at the moment, but how the environment they are shown in will affect them so for example 
in that top floor space, there's so much light coming in through that beautiful new glass roof <laughs> that it's really impossible to show watercolours and pastels or it's advice against for long periods of time because they can affect the paper and yellow it and affect the overall condition of the work. And, and our jobs really are to preserve those artworks for as long as possible so we can display them and share them with the city. So a lot of the work in our collections by female artists actually do tend to be works on paper rather than oil on canvas, which was a much more male orientated medium, which is really interesting because it came across as like quite macho and masculine, but maybe a watercolour was quite delicate um, and therefore linked to the female gender. That was something I found really interesting because I'm coming at this from a history background. I didn't have that much sort of knowledge of art going into it. And it, I found it really interesting, that sort of split that we had so much from female artists in, in watercolours and pastels, but just not the same representation in the oil paintings. And something that we also decided to include within this was a, a 3D piece. So it's not just traditional oil paintings that we've got on the wall. We've also got a really lovely 3D piece from Sarah Radston. So she sort of creates sculptures that reference memory and loss. And while 3D painters arrange their objects and then paint them, she's created and arranged those 3D forms herself. So it was actually really nice to include something that's not such a typical um, still life within the display as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe something that's a little bit less, again, less represented and less expected, which is kind of a nice theme to think about in Women's History Month and for Women's Day, like what, what women can reveal can often quite be unexpected. Uh, so, yeah, we were going to talk about the interpretation as well. So when we were researching each of the artists and the artworks, we found that a lot of women artists today are described through the lens of their relationship with male artists uh, who maybe were deemed more successful. Um, and we chose specifically not to take this approach because we wanted the artists to shine through on their own. We did want to provide context for their success, but we didn't feel that necessarily had to be validated by their male counterparts. And I think that's it feels like something that's kind of shifting within the art world is that we're kind of denying talking about men in terms of what women do, because why do they always have to be put in competition with each other? I think that was something that I was really surprised by when we were researching was that the first sentence of every most articles was blah, blah, wife of another artist. And I just don't think it's necessary to to always put someone's art in, in the lens of another person's. I mean, often it's maybe not related in that way. So it just and doesn't need to be there. Absolutely. And it would be OK if or <laughs> it would be different if in the male biographies they were saying artist of blah, 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 uh, husband of blah 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 but no that doesn't happen they just no. the, the wife isn't mentioned at all but in every single or a lot of the biographies we read that were about women it was the husband in the first sentence which mm. no it was it was very interesting and sort of talking about like families obviously a lot of, of these women artists were juggling family commitments alongside trying to like develop their artist careers 
So one of the artists that we are looking at was Vanessa Bell. And she when she was first starting in her career, she was the oldest daughter. So she carried a lot of weight of caring for her family. So she was looking after her elderly father who wasn't well. And she was also supporting her um, sister, Virginia Woolf, who famously struggled with mental illness. After their father died, sort of, I think she felt quite a weight lifted from her, a bit of weight of the, the struggle of caring for him. Mm. Um, and her and Virginia were able to move to London and they began sort of a much more social life where they started socialising with artists and fellow writers and intellectuals. And that group later became known as the Bloomsbury Group. Um, they met mm. really often in the Bell's house. And Bell was actually one of the most celebrated members of that group. But I do think an important thing to note with, for example, Vanessa Bell, was that they were able to afford domestic help that maybe other families weren't able to afford. And she did have that privilege that would have made pursuing her art career a bit more achievable um, than maybe for other artists who were less well off. Definitely. I think that's so important to to note is that, yes, although it would have been hard as a young female artist in those times, there was already a certain amount of ease or privilege in her life that other artists wouldn't have had. Yeah, it's a really good thing to note, Jen. We also were looking at Elizabeth Blackadder. So she's a Scottish artist. She works in a variety of medias recently unfortunately passed away but she's such an interesting artist to me I've always loved her work she uh, she's amazing at painting cats like (laughs) you have to see these cat paintings they're so good and I hate to kind of I don't feel I don't know it's a weird one because I feel like it's almost like diminishing her by saying that oh she's got really cute cat paintings but they're so much more than that and she's such she's so much more than that and it's that weird again that link between like the domestic and that gendered role of being a you know caretaker or a homemaker um I don't know cats seem to get a bit of a stigma as well linked with women I don't know if you feel that but anyway (laughs) yeah although I am a huge cat lover myself and I think her black adder's painting of cats are just absolutely gorgeous they're so beautiful they're so good But other than cats, she also had a real interest in botany. She was a very, very keen gardener and she drew a lot of flowers. And at one point in her career, actually made a choice between studying botany and studying painting, which I think just shows the respect that she had for the subject she drew and painted. And a lot of the flowers, if not all of them, came from her own garden. And a few of them are like very specimen orientated. They've got their Latin names and things. But uh, as well as flowers, cats, she also painted, I guess they're, I guess you could call them trinkets or like uh, ephemera from traveling. So she traveled a lot and quite extensively. And even her friends would bring things back to her studio that they found abroad that they thought she'd like. And these found their way into a lot of her still lives. And they're so interesting because she's really interested in space or she was very interested in space between objects and that can really be shown in those in those works I'm writing a blog about her so I won't say more at this point but um (laughs) she's she's such an interesting character and I can't wait to delve into her more I really I love that like that her collected objects and the ones that were given to her 
I think they just have such an important place in her artworks and it's it's lovely that it's something that she loves it's not like sort of these like I think a lot of still lives people think of like the Dutch master still lives mm. that are these very opulent table settings of you know very expensive fruit and some lovely dead birds lying on mm. the table <laughs> and I think the the artist that we've chosen here is really a lovely domestic setting of things that they are interested in and that inspire them mm. um, and especially the ones that are painted within the living spaces I think you really get that really nice warm feeling from a lot of them mm. um, which just is an art form in itself I think mm. um, it's interesting that you're talking about her um, interest in botany so Mary Armour was another one of the artists that we've chosen and her father was a keen gardener and you can really see his influence in the passion that she had for painting flowers so I think that's in her painting or still lives you can see that she's put such passion and care into the flowers mm -hmm. and it's really what she was best known for was these incredibly detailed flower paintings and sort of thinking back to her family life so she was teaching at quite an early age once she graduated art school but when she got married in 1927 she was forced down to step down from her teaching job because married women were not allowed to work which that's why it, it does just feel absolutely crazy and mm. it's really not that long ago and mm. um, so she did actually return to teaching in the 1950s and um, where she sort of specialized in in passing down her passion for still life painting to her students but it's just such a stop in a woman's career to be forced to step down from something that you love and from sharing your passion um, mm. just because you got married, which, yeah, it's, it just feels absolutely crazy now. Yeah, I can't oh, I can't believe that every time I hear that and just like, what? I, I mean, under what jurisdiction was that OK? <laughs> like, Oh, it's just wild. But I'm so glad in the end she did return to teaching I think there's like a nice happy ending ish there yeah and actually quite a few of these artists not all but um they all spent a lot of time teaching and a lot of the time in art schools that they had been taught in themselves and I think there's a really nice correlation there between taking from a teacher and then being able to give back as a teacher and I think that's yeah, I think that's really special and it kind of creates these schools or what we talk about as like movements. Um, so like the Bloomsbury group coming together that we spoke about earlier with Vanessa Bell. The same can be said in Glasgow. You've got the Glasgow girls that Mary Armour was known to be part of. But Anne Redpath, who is another of our artists, was part of the Edinburgh School of Painters. And yeah, she attended Edinburgh College of Arts, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and she spent some of her early career in the south of France. So although she studied, she moved away, but she did come back and kind of turned her flat in Edinburgh that was on London Street at the time to become this kind of artistic salon. And actually, there's a painter that painted this salon to kind of memorialise it, um, which I think is really it's just such a cool moment in time. She's a really interesting artist as well. She was had has had such a huge influence on artists in Scotland for a long time. And she was actually the first female painter to be elected to the rank of RSA. But she was nominated four times before being successful, which I just 
I don't know how common that is, if it takes a lot of time to be nominated, but it seems to be more a product of its time and gender roles rather than anything about her being a successful artist because she was super successful. I mean, she exhibited over 30 times at the Royal Scottish Academy over a span of 45 years. So that's nearly once every year. Um, yeah, it just it seems crazy that four times before being and that was the first female painter yeah to be elected so it just it seems like such a long time and I think it was like about a hundred years after the Royal Scottish Academy was established before she was the first female was nominated um elected yeah which yeah. is such a huge period in their history of a hundred years without a woman absolutely yeah and there's another really interesting tidbit of information but her first nomination that she had so she was nominated four times the first one was the first nomination that could be seconded by a woman so again it's just it's like that's a hundred years and that's the first time that a woman's been allowed to second a nomination and okay yeah the RSA uh, academicians process is a little bit murky (laughs) and (laughs) a little bit confusing so they did have to be elected and then they were nominated and then they were elected but that was only when someone passed away i think it's i think it's very different now but um yeah it seemed quite a tricky thing to get access to yeah absolutely so i mentioned earlier that we have a 3d still life within the display um which was something that me and jess were really really keen to incorporate because it is i think it's quite unusual to have that so we've got a really beautiful work by sarah radstone so it's three ceramic pieces um, that we've got arranged within a case in the display. So Sarah Radston, I think from a very young age, she was very clear that ceramics was where her heart lay. And she was really inspired by the artworks in the Tate and the British Museum in her native London. So she graduated from Camberwell School of Arts. Um, so that was in the late 70s. And she described her sort of graduating class as a year that challenged people's views about clay and the potential of ceramics. And so I think it was a really exciting sort of time for for ceramics and expression, because I do think that it is sometimes maybe overlooked as a a fine art form compared to sort of what everyone associates with fine art, sort of oil paintings and watercolours. So it was really interesting to be able to incorporate that. Uh, within the display and she sort of looks at themes of like memory and loss and I know that she's inspired by the work of Eva Hess which I know is one of Jess's favourite artists that was something that Jess was very excited about (laughs) absolutely yeah she's she is one of my favourite artists she's amazing Uh, she's American so wait is she American I am going to google that (laughs) she is American okay Good fact checking. Um, I'm hoping that first entry on Google is correct. So, yeah, no, <laughs> sorry, super sidetracked. Yeah, I think it was really cool to include Sarah's work in the display because it also just shows the range of mediums that women artists work in. And, and I just think so often it feels so narrow and there's like a few mediums that women artists are known for working in. But there's such a huge variety, just like men. So the last artist we have to speak about is Lil Nielsen. Lil Nielsen was born in Kirkcaldy. She spent some of her adult years with really well-known painter Joan Eardley in Catherline, which is just like 
a few miles south of Stonehaven, so that's outside Aberdeen City where we are. She's a pretty under-researched artist, to be honest. She's There's not a lot of writing about her. We found a few different articles and we have some books on Joan Early where she is mentioned. But I feel like I feel like some work could be done there. Yeah, I think she's so often just referenced in reference to Joan Ardley that it's, it's kind of hard to find a bit more about Lil in her, her own right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was something that she kind of fought against in her time, like just being this kind of Ardley, I don't want to say uh, freeloader, but I think that's what at the time people um, said. And I think that that's really challenging because yeah, I guess we don't have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but her work, like, I love, like, her work. Lil Nielsen's work is just so mm. beautiful and it's so dramatic. And I think the piece that we have in the exhibition is an interior scene, but it's got a window through which you can see sort of the quite dramatic coasts of Catterline outside. So I think it was a really nice juxtaposition between mm. the interior and then the nature that's, that's right on her doorstep in Catterline. And she painted with such like thick impasto that her paint really carries that um that kind of tension but also the kind of ferocity of the the coastline that can happen definitely on this northeast coast of Scotland it's like the that Caroline it can get so stormy and really moody down there so I think her work really um really shows that and it was in I think she moved there in 1986 permanently to Catalonia, and she made her home half a home and half a studio which again is that really nice kind of mixing of life and art and that kind of loss of distinction which can be good and can be can be bad but three years after that she showed a retrospective in Edinburgh which actually spoke about her anger of the treatment of the land and the sea which I think she would have been so close to seeing being in Catalan because you can really see how that anger could be personified in the waves. Yeah, very, very interesting artist. And I, yeah, hopefully someone's going to research her. Maybe we should. <laughs> we should. I, do. I remember when when we were sort of, before we put everything on display, we go and we we look at everything very closely and we check the condition. I remember when we were looking at Lil Nielsen's work, I was so struck by like how incredibly thick the paint was on it. Mm. And I think it's un- it's an unglazed work. It's an incredibly good condition for having not been behind glass, but it's just such a dramatic way of of painting. I think it was mm. it was really amazing to be able to see up and close. So if anyone wants to go and see the exhibition, I recommend getting up nice and close to have a look at the incredible textures on on that piece. Definitely, mm-hmm, definitely, and it's on now, top floor of the art gallery. As I said, free to visit. Me and Jenny are also really keen to explore more about the underrepresented areas in our collections, uh, about women artists, about women in history. So we would love to hear your thoughts on anything you would like to know more about. Anything else, Jen? No. Um, yeah, but we, we always love feedback. So please do get in touch if there's anything. And all of our collections are available on our website um, to look through. And if there's ever anything you want to see in person, just get in touch with the curatorial team um, and we are able to arrange research visits. So we would love to see you in person to, to have a look at the collection. And yeah. so I think we'll just say happy Women's Day again. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you, Jenny and Jess. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and it has inspired you to see the display for yourself, which is open until Sunday the 23rd of April at Aberdeen Art Gallery on School Hill. If you want to get in touch with Jenny or Jess, please go to the Contact Us form on our website at www.aagm.co.uk and select Collections. Remember to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode of Gather Round. And until next time, bye!